0: My guest this week beaming down to talk all things Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is Paul Green, founder of School of Rock, a music instruction company based on the idea that kids progress faster playing music in bands than they do in traditional instruction. Paul stumbled onto this idea in 1996 while giving music lessons in his home. You can check out the excellent 2003 documentary Rock School for more about this fascinating and highly entertaining chapter of Paul's life. The New Yorker said of that film that Green goads, praises, and occasionally bullies his pupils into learning music by the likes of Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. There are moments when his tantrums are bigger than the teens. We'll talk later in the episode about the Jack Black movie, School of Rock, which Paramount Pictures has long maintained was not based on Paul and his... um, School of Rock, and that any resemblance between Jack Black's burly, hyperactive teacher passionate about classic rock and likely to lecture his students about Yes's Roundabout, and Paul Green, a burly, hyperactive teacher passionate about classic rock and likely to lecture his students about Yes's Roundabout, is purely coincidental. But Paul's a serial entrepreneur, and after selling School of Rock in 2009, he's gone on to found the Paul Green Rock Academy, work on a Woodstock-based music school with original Woodstock festival organizer Michael Lang, and most recently, at the age of 45, he decided to go to law school, where he's currently wrapping up his third year and preparing to launch yet another Paul Green business, this one devoted to protecting the rights of artists and musicians as they navigate their initial steps and contracts in the entertainment business. Paul's a passionate guy with strong opinions, and when he mentioned Wrath of Khan, I was so glad to take him up on the opportunity to reconnect and reflect on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Paul Green, welcome to the Full Cast and Crew podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I'm very excited to be here. I, did, uh, I was waiting for my invitation. I had to sort of bridge my way into it. But uh, you did a little bit on Facebook. But you know what's so funny is that you've been doing hilarious threads on Facebook. <laughs> Paul did a thread that was make me choose between two bands, and with his music background, that was a huge. I mean,
1: probably a thousand comments uh, yeah. counting. People would be like Led Zeppelin or 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 you know like Three Eleven. I'd be like, Are you serious? <laughs> like what's <laughs>
0: I was I loved scrolling through and watching you discernedly decide which ones (laughs) to answer and which ones to ignore, exactly as that example. And so then he did one that said, make me choose between two movies. And I thought, oh, okay, now now we're getting into my my area here. And so I made some comment and many people do what you did, which is they'll take an opportune moment in some otherwise innocuous Facebook or text thread and go like, Well, what am I coming on? And then you sort of the, the penny drops in my head. I'm like, oh, this person is kind of like maybe from afar been like, yeah, I'd like to do it. Invite me and I'll come on. So I'm glad that it worked out.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, me too. And I'm a, I'm a as big a film buff as you're going to be. I'm probably like, if, if you had to make me choose between music and movies, as long as I still got the music in movies, I would probably choose movies. A, Interesting.
0: I love that. So the movie you chose today, it warmed my heart because I needed this. I think we all need this. And we're doing the podcast in this pandemic time. And I'm trying to choose movies that, I think are fun or mean something to a lot of people. And when you suggested Wrath of Khan, I was like done. 100% in. Khan,
2: you've got Genesis. But you don't have me. You are going to kill me, Khan. You're going to have to come down here. You're going to have to come down here. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her. my run for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive.
0: A, hey, let's start. Are you a Star Trek person at all to begin with?
1: Huge Star Trek. Came to it, you know, uh, reruns as a kid. Bonding, you know, like there's that... There's a handful of things that, like, nerdy punk rock kids, you know, Monty Python, Star Trek, the works of Karl Marx, you know, like, it's, you know... You, you those know, are the, the building blocks. Those are the building blocks right there, so...
0: And fashion conformity with your shoes and
1: your... You know, yeah, I was... Uh, I, I think I've wore a black t-shirt and jeans every day of my life since I was <laughs> eight. I, I was never... I was like the, you know... I'm one of these people, I'm like, like uh, the great punk rock bands just dress like normal people. True. Right, that's true.
0: Watching con and then it made me go back and I didn't even realize that they had remastered all of the original series and that those are available on iTunes. And so for the last three or four nights I've been watching one or two of those a night, and I'm just I Star Trek has the ability to just blow me away all over again, the original series particularly, anytime I kind of dip back in, and it's probably been five or six years since I really went through a jag of watching the original series. And it's so weird, right? Like I, to think about how it existed in the first place is still blows my mind. Yeah. And to know that it wasn't very successful in that first season and to think about those actors coming to work every day in the most ludicrous seeming setups and environments. Yeah. Yet the the seriousness of purpose that underlies it comes through. And in the episodes that are really good, it's it's moving. It's, it's brilliant.
1: I love it. You picture them like, you picture Leonard Nimoy like in his ears out on the lot having a cigarette, you <laughs> yeah. know, like to go back to work. Exactly. Uh, well, I'm sure that I, happened. There was a time, like, I read Shatner's Star Trek Memories book, I read Star Trek movie memories. Uh, you know, I've, I've done my research. Uh, you know, one of the great things about having kids, uh, your your daughter's younger, right? but yeah. you just get to go through everything you love. Right. I, have, I was never able to hook my kids on Star Trek. They're, really? Uh, I paid my son 20 bucks because, you know, Cash currency is valueless now. Right, we're gonna be wheelbarrowing like <laughs> dollar bills wow. to, the, to buy gingerbreadson, and uh, and he just couldn't do it. He handed me back the twenty bucks. You know, and it, it was actually the con scene. He's like, I'm out. You know, and, wow. And we've done the Sopranos and the Wire, and you know, new, we're watching billions now. He, it's just there's something about it that's dated, unfortunately. And then when we tried to watch the the series, because the way the series is ordered, yeah. You know, um, it's got the cage first and then the mm-hmm. first three episodes are all about somebody gaining cosmic powers. And Walden's like, during the third one, he's like, it's all, it's the same episode over and over. Yeah. And I'm like, but you don't get it. It's the character development, you know, like Spock's like this now, but he changes later. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's, it'll have to remain. I don't know if it, 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 it translates, uh, generational bounds the way we would hope it does, but... Do you remember being a kid and first encountering the original series? Yeah, it was just, and I, and I know mean, I grew up in, in a cultural wasteland. So it was, it was just something that would be on and I would watch. And it was one of those things like recently I, I discovered that I thought only, I liked me and my friends like the violent fems in 1980, whatever. Right. I discovered that everybody did, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so the same, that happened earlier with Star Trek. I thought, this was this weird thing that I had, and then as I met the kind of people I wanted to actually spend time with, Star Trek, as I said, was a cultural touchstone, and and then it sort of became like a like a test, you know, you in the Star Trek, okay, we're cool, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, along with Monty
0: Python. So. It's weird that my experience of the original series was is sort of feels like it's after school, like that I caught it in syndication, but it's not really a show for kids. It's not it's not a show for the age that we were really watching it. I mean, it is in the sense that like. Kids who would turn out to be like us, and have interest in arcane things or minutia or obscure pockets of cool stuff or things that were weird or counterculture in a way, it was right for us. But that wasn't really the intention of the original
1: series, which was to be a a show for adults in prime time. It was, and um, and uh, and the fact that they got three seasons on the air is just beyond you know. It is. Okay, so Wrath of Khan. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say this right from the bat. Wrath of Khan, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is a better science fiction movie than any of the Star Wars movies. That is a hot take agree. Okay, first of all,
0: you specialize in hot takes like me. You like to stir up trouble. Right. Uh is that a ser- that's a serious take? Serious take. Really? Any any Star Wars movie.
1: Uh, episode one is, is great, you know, and uh, you know, I like it all,
0: but but start, but that one, that's the one. Okay, it's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a huge Trek fan and I was telling him some of my opinions about Wrath of Khan and he goes, oh, you're going to get a lot of trouble for you know, saying the things you're planning on saying in this podcast, but you have just planted the flag firmly the flag. in an area that the entire encampment will now be on your side and I will stand alone. Also, the Beatles overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing we learned from his Facebook posts. Wow. So, People get so mad when you say that. <laughs> okay, so you're a genuine Wrath of Khan appreciator. And assuming that you've seen all the Star Trek feature films. New ones. Not the ones You months. haven't seen the new ones. I, uh, you're not interested. Okay. The first one is actually very good and worth your time. And I looked
1: at it. I wouldn't watch
0: no, the other sorry. new ones, but that very first J.J. Abrams one is a very, very good Star Trek movie. It's very true no. to the spirit of what we're talking about. Don't have contempt prior to investigation. Just go check it out. And then... I saw it. I saw it. it.
1: I watched it. Yeah, they put the... They show Kirk doing the Kobayashi Maru.
2: Two Klingon vessels have entered the neutral zone and are locking weapons on us. That's okay. That's okay? Yeah, don't worry about it. Did he say don't worry about it? Is he not taking the simulation seriously? Three more Klingon
1: warbirds decloaking and targeting our ship. I don't suppose this is a problem either. They're firing, Captain.
0: Alert Medical Bay to prepare to receive all crew members from the damaged ship.
2: And how do you
1: expect us to rescue them when we're surrounded by Klingons, Captain?
2: Alert Medical. Our ship's being hit. Shield's at 60%. I understand. Well, should we, I don't know, fire back? No. Of course not. What is this? What's going on?
1: Armed photons,
0: prepare to fire on the Klingon Warbirds. Yes, sir. Jim, their shields are still up. Are they?
2: No, they're not. Fire on all enemy ships. One photon each you do. Let's not waste ammunition. Target locked and acquired on all
0: Warbirds. Firing. <laughs> all ships destroyed, Captain. Begin rescue of the trainer crew. So, we've managed to eliminate all enemy ships no one on board was injured, and the successful rescue of the Kobayashi Maru crew is underway.
2: How the hell did that kid beat your test? Mm. I do not know.
1: And he's like, just don't do that. Just don't. JJ Abrams, back Okay, so... You're bringing up one of
0: the silly things that for me gets in the way of my appreciation of the Wrath of Khan, which is this, the the Kobayashi Maru as this, oh my God, everyone knows about it. Everyone talks about it. This is the test of all tests. I mean, come on. It's a silly MacGuffin-like device. Well, do you know
1: the story of why that got tacked onto the movie? Uh, News had leaked that Spock died in the show. So they needed to, they they tacked it onto the beginning as a way... To to reverse some stuff, sure. okay. Like that's, that's clever. Thing. So one reason that ended up in the movie is because the word had leaked that Spock was going to die, so they had him die early, fake die, so that everyone would be more than not prepared for the intense emotional payoff when he actually now, dies So that's
0: that. I haven't seen this movie probably since it came out. So I bought in this time. I wasn't. I didn't really remember the plot. So when it started unfolding, I was like, wow, okay. I guess, they're, yeah, I was like, that's a good move. Just get out of the way right away. Then we can get on with the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But tell me a little bit about the, the origin of the movie because I know it was very troubled in terms, and they all are. I don't know why the Star Trek universe is like, every movie you read about, and I've read some of the books, every movie has this like Sturm und Drang to just get made. Like, like Leonard Nimoy only did this one because they did kill off his character.
1: Yeah, and then I think he directs right. the next one. So that uh, which brought him back and allowed him to resurrect it. Um, well, what I know, I saw this movie in the theater. Um, somebody took me to it. Uh, the ear thing, boy, uh, I was af- I would not lay on grass for until I was fifteen because I was afraid of things going <laughs> into my ears. Really, and the fact that there's actually a creature called an earwig yes. in existence haunted you. That that looks like it would go in your ear. <laughs> It doesn't go in your ear, um, as far as we can tell. Uh, the fact, um, so that that freaked me out. Uh, as I understand it from Star Trek uh, movie memories, um, you know, the first movie was just a big budget disaster. Have you seen the first I, movie? I, I, one of
0: my one of my controversial takes. I actually like the first movie. You, you do in that way that like, but I do like it. I, I do you, like it. I think in the way you're saying, which is,
1: I like. I act like I actually you know I actually like uh, Haggis you know what I mean I
0: like it in the way that like the Miami Dolphins are my third favorite football team because as a kid my dad got me a jacket that I thought was like I loved the colors and it's it's a purely childhood like attachment to something but the Viger thing stuck with me as a kid because I think that type of wordplay would then become something I was always really interested in in my life V-O-I-A-G-E-R
2: Voyager Voyager 6 NASA National Aeronautics and Space Administration Jim This was launched
0: more than 300 years ago. So that's the yes. one when I think of that movie I think of that first, that mystery that I that I remember not un, not solving until they solved it in the movie and I just loved that device. And I think her bald yeah. head was such a a novel, weird thing to see as a kid. So I know everyone hates the first movie, and I think it was budgeted at like $44, $46 million, and it was a lot, it of, was money a lot of money for them. It did not do well. It's, but I, I have a soft spot for that movie. That's probably the one I like the most of these original movies.
1: It's a good movie. It's, it really is. And It's just it's just at the time it came out, it bombed, it was cerebral. I mean, what, what did they expect from Rod? I mean, he was always... It, for him, the 23rd century was always the sugar in which the philosophical message, medicine, went in. So the, the, there should have been no surprise. Um, you know, Roddenberry was, like, almost banned. He was given a, as created by credit, you know, and, like, pretty much kept offset for this one. Um, so, uh, but, yeah, disaster. So they, they, you know, they still have the IP. They still want to exploit it. They, so they put together, you know, I think hard Bennett was a television producer, um, and then the, they brought in a team, you know, of like, you know, I love the story of like Tyler Perry, like, you know, how he makes television, you know, like, give me this amount of movies, give me this amount of money, I'll make the movie. He finishes them in three weeks, you know, like, so that like proven people to work under budget and deliver, um, uh, mainstream entertainment. And that's what this, this really, this movie reset the market for future of Star Trek. Right.
0: Know. So they turned famously, they, the studio turned this project over to the TV people, and that was such a big thing yeah. at the time because basically they were, they had five drafts of a script that no one liked. And then they brought Nicholas Meyer on board and he guess did, did a draft of the script that even apparently Shatner didn't like. He tells that story in the making of where he's like, you know, Shatner was so protective of the Kirk character and Nicholas Meyer sort of didn't know anything about Star Trek and didn't really care about that stuff and saw in his mind, like, no, we need to do this with these characters and that's going to make this kind of contemporized in the way that, You may not think so, Bill, but like, we all need to do this. And I guess he proved right business-wise. So I think they cut the budget in half and had the TV people in charge, which, you know, sort of in Hollywood, it's like, that's not done. And I'm sure that there probably was some internal ill will and animosity toward their own movie by the, by the movie people who were like, why are you bringing these hacks in to do our job? Um, Yeah. But, but with that, like, I, I, we we talked offline that I that it drove me to watch Space Seed, the original Khan episode, yeah. which I loved. I loved that episode.
2: Captain's log, Stardate thirty one forty two point three. Slightly over two centuries ago, a group of scientists planned for a race of supermen and created conquistadors. Name Khan Noonien Singh. From nineteen ninety two through nineteen ninety six, absolute ruler of more than a quarter of your world well either choke me or cut my throat you fled why were you afraid I've never been afraid but you left at the very time mankind needed courage we offered the world order I intend to take this ship will you assist me oh please con don't ask me. leave me then the battle begins again only this time is not the world win it's the universe you're no match for me it does not matter. The captain is dead. I
0: don't think I'd ever seen that, or I certainly didn't remember seeing it. And I wish I'd seen that first,
1: actually, before I saw the movie. Some I mean, the, the fight between him and Khan when it's so clearly—I mean, almost like an airplane level—to
0: stunt guys wrestling. I mean, did, I you, did stop that down and look I, over, and I, I was like, oh, that wig on the stunt
1: guy for Khan is just not
0: believable I, at all.
1: <laughs> and, the, and the Kirk guy kind of looks like Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
0: It's so good. I guess in Wrath of Khan, he does a, doesn't does Khan address that MacGyver's died from one of those ear things? Yes. So I missed that because I didn't watch Space Seed until after I'd watched the movie. Yep. But then when I was talking to my friend Rick, he was like, oh, no, no. He, ad- he, he addresses the fact that these, these things killed many of his crew members.
1: Including his beloved wife. His beloved wife. Okay. take the rules straight. Am I allowed of to course. curse on this podcast? Am I allowed to make uh, ethnic you can, voices? It, it, I mean, it's,
0: it's your it's your posterity, my friend. I will protect you as much as I can from
1: yourself in the edit. So when I do con, I have to do... Oh, you have to do Montalban. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I have a 13-year-old daughter who hits me whenever I go anywhere sure. near the bow, so I've learned a little. Botany Bay. Oh, no. <laughs> Deckoff not in the episode Space C,
0: but they explain that. Yeah, yeah. That actually, they explain that in um, the one I just watched last night, which is the one where Kirk ends up holding the giant pink phallus that he that he knocks Lurch on the yes. head with. I was like, all right, they're just fucking with us right now. That is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I was like, how do they get away with that <laughs> on TV? <laughs> I was like, okay, I get it, Gene. Man's yes. Man, as represented by phallus, will win out over it. Okay, got it light metaphor there. <laughs> uh, just to talk about Montelbon, oh my God, towering figure yeah. of insane importance to television. This guy did everything there was to be done in the entertainment business, Broadway musicals, movies, TV, plays. I mean, a force of nature and Hammy, yes, of course, but he's yes. so fucking good. Like, he's, he, yeah. there's something about him to the viewer, whether he's playing nice or whether he's playing the villain, which not many people can do both in that way.
1: No, because, you know, his, uh, you know, R- R- Rourke is, is, was kind of like my father, not having a dad mm-hmm. growing up. Mr. Rourke was kind of my yeah. tact on TV. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> the ben- he's going to, the benevolent <laughs> father figure who's going to do things for you and yeah. make things happen. Yeah.
1: And open up a world of mystery and, and show you that, be careful right. what you wish for. So. Right. And in fact, like, uh, you know, they had, to, they had the base, the, the, the shooting schedule around Fantasy right. Island. So it tells you tells you with the order of importance sure. in
0: right. back then. Do you know anything about, was it hard for them to get him to do Khan or was he always excited to revisit the character? Do you know anything about that story?
1: He was all into it, but he says they had to base it around his, his Fantasy Island shooting right. schedule. <laughs> Commerce will out. That's how you have the career. Yeah, but the, the biggest mystery, that is his real chest, not a prosthetic chest. Dude was ripped. He was, yeah, he says he did extra push-ups for this. <laughs> in the
0: space seat episode, he's 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 like contemporarily ripped in whatever that was, 1967 or something.
1: Just to really, just to really get it out there, how obsessed I am yep. with this movie. I've been working on a musical of Star Trek II: The Wrath Love of God, it. off and on for the last 15 years, and if I knew I could get the rights and a producing partner, I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> Okay, listeners,
0: now you're seeing Paul Green in his real element here. He's, he's working the angles now to uh, to get his project to fruition. I like it. Overture, next song, Kobayashi
2: Maru. Any suggestions, Admiral? Prayer, Mr. Savick. The Klingons don't take prisoners. Lights. Off. Captain? Trainees, to the briefing room. Maintenance crew, report to stimulator. Maintenance crew, report to simulator. simulator. Position? Heal up. Is that all you gotta say? What about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. Well, Mr. Southwick, are you going to stay with the sinking ship? Permission to speak candidly, sir. Granted. I don't believe this was a fair test of my command abilities. And why not? Because there was no way to win. A no win situation is the possibility every commander may face. Has that never occurred to you? No, sir. It is not.
1: Third song, Botany Bay, right? Then there's the scene on the on the on the deck where they're all, we have a ship, we can escape, you know? But he asks me. So that's that's like a it. scene. The last the last big song is human, you know, like the whole thing just writes I itself. I like it. And we need to not only get the rights to the Star Trek characters, but let's. We have, you know, how long are we in here? We have to talk about the James Horner. Okay, we're going to get
0: to all this stuff. But wait, before you abandon the, to- the talk of your musical, um, is this a Broadway style musical? With totally. with like, what what's the music like? Is it punk? Is it is it is it Broadway
1: show tunes? It's, no, 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 no. No, It's we've got some rock elements certainly, but uh, we're we're going to you know tradition is with it you know. First of all, it has to be a rock opera. You know, there's been a rock opera. Yeah, there's no spoken words; everything's sung. Very Jesus Christ superstar, which is to me the yep. pinnacle um, of this. Um, and if allowed to legally, I would gar liberally from the original James Horner score, hmm. uh, especially the two fight mm-hmm. scenes. Yeah. <laughs> that's some great stuff. And, you know, he was, he was in, in that classic Hollywood way, he got the job cause he was cheap and he was told to write like this other mm-hmm. person. And then I think elements, you know, the, the theme song to this movie, you know, ended up being like the musical language of this movie ends up being the musical language of the film series there mm-hmm. thereafter. I think tour of the first movie ended up being the theme of the next generation. Oh, okay. Cause I remember rewatching that and, and I remember the, the movie being, the music of the first movie being familiar in a way, but uh, but for me, I think the, the musical language was reestablished. With this well,
0: movie. Paul, I'm going to give you a piece of viral advice. I mean, you have the means with your various enterprises to go viral the way the high school production of Alien went viral in New Jersey. You could stage a small version of your Wrath of Khan rock opera it would get crazy coverage. And then the studio would have to come to you and be like, hey, this guy could actually bring this to fruition and and, and create another interesting angle for the
1: IP. You heard it here first. Okay, we're, we're going to make it okay, happen. Okay, so
0: the James Horner score was the first thing I didn't like about Wrath of Khan. Ah! Because, and I'll tell you, and it's because I am a traditionalist and I just don't see any reason to ever do any open to any Star Trek property ever that's, other than what they do in the original. like That is the most timeless classic theme and introduction to any TV series ever, full stop, period.
2: Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five year mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no man has gone before
1: Totally acknowledge all of your points. So I guess what I'm doing is grading on a curve. So I think I think once the decision's been made to deviate from that, which it was, James Horner didn't right. decide that. I think he said he want he borrowed liberally from the tones of that. Uh, once that decision's been made by someone else, I think then the the the, the, the level of difficulty for James Horner is so mm-hmm. high that me personally, I never I, I actually embraced the new score. I mean, listen. I walk out of movie. Like my favorite thing to do is walk out of a movie. <laughs> I walked out of uh, you know. I know you love the Hollywood movie. I, I, Once I, upon a time is like, oh yeah. I walked brilliant, right out of it. brilliant. Yeah, if the whole movie was Brad Pitt doing work with his shirt off. That's a movie I could have watched. <laughs> Different strokes, I guess, my friend. Different strokes. <laughs> when I walked out of when I walked out of there, uh, there will be blood. It was like my favorite. The fact that I'll never know what happened in that movie. Tell, tell
0: me why you like the act of walking out.
1: Uh there's a there's a there's a protest. Okay. And I like, I like the idea that I dislike this movie so much that I can live without ever knowing what happens.
0: But are you sitting there hoping that that will happen when you go to a movie? Then never. When you went saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you weren't already knowing
1: that this was going to happen to you. I'm a big Tarantino fan. I, I know his movies are. Been down, but uh, I, I all the reviews were right. All the right people liked it a lot. I was excited that there was a new Tarantino. I'm a rewatchable mm-hmm. kind of guy. So you know, I mean, I know we differ, disagree on, on *Inglorious Bastards*, but I've every time I'm sick, I just put *Inglorious mm-hmm. Bastards* on and it gets me through two and a half hours. I wanted there to be more good Tarantino in my life. I just was like, once they had Agent uh, what's his name Brody playing Steve mm-hmm. McQueen, <laughs> and you know, I don't, whatever. That's not this podcast. I was like, I don't have to, I can live for the rest of my life without knowing what happens here. It's good, good Okay, fear.
0: well, that's to your detriment that you won't know how great it really was. But anyway, let's keep going. So I take your point. Once they make a decision to deviate, they bring James Horner in. He's like, okay, I'm going to do standard modes of deviation here. I'm going to give you something that pays homage to the original theme, but I'm doing my own thing. In that, he did succeed.
1: Yes, so- the degree of difficulty of, of creating a new musical language for fucking Star Trek. He does. And so like, you know, it's it's it's, it's a Simpsons thing that like when when there'll be something going on, they play that and then he created a new like sort of musical landscape that could be powered later on, I think is, is and and those of us like you and I mm-hmm. get that sort of that space. Right. Model. I He's, think it's interesting that
0: <clears throat> for a franchise, and I don't know whether this is because of who was in charge of the franchise or this was maybe because Star Trek, other than Star Wars, which, you know, precedes it as a fr- as a film franchise in the science fiction universe, maybe they just hadn't figured out franchises yet in the way that they that they have now for better and for worse, we would probably both say. But in the Star Trek, like what I love about like, My version of walking out is I love to read about troubled movie productions and sets, and I love to indulge in kind of like what went wrong, and I love to kind of triage looking back. So, all the best books about Hollywood are usually based around films that were tragic disasters, you know, or that went horribly wrong for ego or money or meddling or all the great traditional reasons that everything usually goes wrong in any entertainment enterprise. Star Trek is so fascinating because. It's such a torturous experience for them always to get these things just to go, and that's that includes from the cast and and the production side and the you know the creative approach and everything. Like if it's not Shatner having a problem, then it's Nimoy who's having a problem. It's not Nimoy having a problem, then Bones is too sick to be in the movie, and it's just it could never escape.
1: I had to write an extra scene for Scotty just to do this movie. <laughs> Otherwise, he's not going to do it because what else is he doing? So, like, that really, like, is he really going to carry that dead kid all the way up to the bridge?
0: <laughs> Here's the other thing that I think is weird about Khan, which is different now. Nowadays, if you have the same show from the 60s and we're in the same place that Wrath of Khan is, which is what, 87? 82? Oh, is it 82? Okay, it's even earlier. So, that's not even, that's like, yeah. today, you would never feel the need to impose an old crew storyline on actors that we're still young enough to pull this off really without that sort of a, you know, oh, we've got to dust them off and put them back into service storyline. But at the time, I think that felt to everyone like, wow, look how old Kirk is. He can't still be doing the job.
2: Please tell me what you're feeling. There's a man out there I haven't seen in 15 years. He's trying to kill me. You show me your son, that would be happy to help him. My
1: son. My
2: life that could have been. It wasn't. What am I feeling?
1: I thought it was, you know, there was a, a, a Cyrano, you know, uh, sort of aspect, like, people are gonna notice this anyway, let's us say mm-hmm. it, you know, rather than the critics, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I actually, I, I, you know, there's a lots about this movie I really like, whether it happened by accident, but that's one of them, it's like, people are gonna notice this, let's just say it ourselves. We're old. Out of the way, let's make it about the thing that people are gonna make fun, you know? If not with this movie, two movies from now they're gonna start talking about right. These people are too old to be on that right. starship. You know. Yeah.
0: The, the I can see why Shatner probably had a problem with that kind of like, like ennui Kirk. You know, in his little man cave of telescopes and pistoleros and uh, sculptures, which I bet you love as a uh, as a Kirk apartment place.
1: It's well, my son was like, "What's up with <laughs> his apartment?" You know, like, do you know the weird bit of trivia where the background the, at the window? Yeah, I was wondering what is that. So much of this movie is recycled because that's how they they got the budget. A lot of the the lights coming on the enterprise were from, were footage they didn't use in the first oh. movie. The Klingons during the Kobayashi Maru, you'll never unsee it now. It's from the original series. <laughs> so the background outside is 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 a is a background I had left over from the towering inferno. Oh my god, that's brilliant. So so real Star Trek nerds can actually using that calculate uh, the address <laughs> and and floor oh, number. I love it. Of Thank God. He lives in
0: the Towering Inferno. That's, that's incredible. Is the Tower so the Towering Inferno is probably also a property of the studio, right? It's a cinematic universe before there was a cinematic universe. <laughs> a cinematic Universe.
1: I guess they rebuilt the Towering Inferno building and Kirk I was love in that it. building. I so. love it. I actually thought Cristiano was very good. I it's thought this great. is
0: her first it says introducing, I assume it's her first movie role.
1: It is and uh you know they they don't in a in a in a deleted scene she's half <laughs> She's half Romulan, half mm-hmm. Vulcan, so she has some emotions, which is why she's so perturbed and wants to like get some answers from Kirk. She says, "Damn, you know, there's there's a level of, of 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 humanity to that character that wouldn't exist in a in a pure." World.
0: What's the deal with Mister Sabak? He calls her Mister Sabak through the whole freaking movie.
2: Have you ever piloted a starship out of space, dock? Never, sir. Take her out, Mr. Savick.
1: I guess it's the same. It's a convention that, like, maybe in the Army you would call a female. Yeah, they
0: say that, but but I just think it's such a weird, like, like, that's one of those things, like, that well may be true, but if you want butts in seats that are sitting there, and in the first, like, five minutes of the movie, a male crew member addresses a female crew member as Mr. Savick, I'm just confused. uh,
1: I never even noticed that, so I guess our... our, our, I guess you're more woke than me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I'm not talking about in a woke way. I mean now it would work fine. Now now woke audiences would be Maybe that's her preferred her preferred, <laughs> her preferred pronouns were
1: Mr. on set. Maybe. Yeah. That's where they missed the future. Because the Star Trek, you know, written now, it would they would need each other and exchange pronouns. True.
0: You we mentioned absentee fathers, so you know, that's always, that's like, ends up being like a through line in many of our episodes here. So many of us share that as an experience. And I wonder, there's such a commonality in some of the people that I've had on. Um, I guess Rick was talking about as a child how it was ABC newscaster who was his sort of nightly father figure in the home because he didn't have one there. This movie has such an interesting kind of through line with the Kirk character being uh, an absentee father, really.
2: I did what you wanted. I stayed away. Why didn't you tell him? How can you ask me that? Were we together? Were we going to be? You had your world, and I had mine. And I wanted him in mine, not chasing through the universe with his father. Like you, in many ways,
1: and knowingly so, right? Look, is that is that David? You know, like, uh, you know, and Doctor Carol Marcus, to the best of my knowledge, was never a character on the original series.
0: Yeah, so maybe they just invented that as a did, 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 did we? So Kirk that. in the original series never was known as an absentee father, right?
1: He, there was no episode in which he impregnated a woman and walked away from right. it. <laughs> and, but we can make the presumption. So that, but I'm sure there's all sorts of baby kirks across the universe. So. That's
0: the funny thing about watching the original series, now is just like how horny it was for a TV series. <laughs> yeah.
1: Especially Space Seed. Oh I mean, God. it's Like if you made a, a pornographic parody, you, you know what you'd call Space it? Space
0: Seed. Or uh, that's what little girls are made of—is—is is totally like it presages like the fembots in you know Austin Powers.
2: Christine you must realize it. An android is like a computer; it does only what I program. As a trained scientist yourself, you must realize that given a mechanical Doctor Brown, and a mechanical Geisha would be no more difficult. You think I could love a machine? Did you? Andrea is incapable of that. She simply obeys orders. She has no meaning for me. There's no emotional bond. Andrea, kiss uh, Captain Kirk. Now strike him. You see, there's no emotion in her. No emotional involvement. She simply responds to orders. She's a totally logical computer.
1: Or uh, I think the episode called Miri. Yes, yes. In, in order to save something, and save the work, you know, Kirk, Kirk essentially, um, uh, you know, there's no physical element to it, but he seduces like a 12-year-old girl, you know, in order to get her not to destroy. I guess the somebody, universe de-
0: demanded it. Um, I loved David's tennis sweater. I thought that was an interesting piece of costuming in the movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) David could have used David. That was when (laughs) uh, Nick Meyer
0: was talking about how that was like, that was a conscious thing to try and um, get the the world within the spaceship kind of out of the spaceship in a way. He kind of wanted that character to just be more realistically dressed for 1982 when, you know, I guess sporty guys like that wore I never understood the sweater around the neck thing that'd be really I, that would freak me out I wouldn't like anything like that
1: I, I the sweater around the neck is a problem for me too I mean all, you're
0: gonna so tie around your waist that's like a definite that's like probably like a different punk rock definition of how you're gonna wear an item of clothing
1: without actually wearing yeah. it the sweater around the neck's a big commitment so I mean the the the, 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 the costume design I think even then was problematic. I, I think if we're, if we're doing the Wrath of Khan report mm-hmm. card, gosh, I mean, the way, like, okay, so I love the way when Khan, and they take over the Reliant, right? And then they, they're like wearing the space the, 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 the spacely jackets, but over their punk rock. Like, yes. um, and, and it's punk rock. Like circa uh, Synchronicity Two. Yeah, it's like, like it's
0: like, like, like meets Synchronicity Two with like a lot of like yeah. strands tied off, you know, epaulets and things like that.
1: Yeah, but there. But I love the kind. I mean, it's it's such like a baller move. He's wearing the red jacket over all that, <laughs> and like people have like things tied around their head. Like if when we do the musical and we're doing the musical, the costume stay exactly hundred oh, percent. 100%. 100%. With the kind of costumes that'll read well, from absolutely. The of the day, so. uh, will there be any? Will there
0: be any lighting elements within the costumes? Probably.
1: Probably, yeah. You have to really let them
0: right. up, you know. So. Um, what's so funny, also, is looking over the history of these movies. Is what was considered a hit then is so quaint now. Like for this movie to make a hundred million dollars was a huge deal. Huge deal. Whereas now, like the studios hadn't yet figured out, like oh, if we spend a billion dollars, we'll make ten billion dollars,
1: and that's yeah, when that's you know, I mean, you and I both came, you know, we're I'm forty seven, you around the same age? Let's say yes. Okay. I mean, there was that great time the '90s, you know, when when they thought the opposite, right. you know, let's 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 make and one million dollar movies, and if two of them hits, and that's a real shame. I mean. You know, you know the like how great this the year nineteen ninety nine mm-hmm. was for movies. Like I'm genuinely surprised when something really poignant and touching comes out. Like the last movie I absolutely loved was Moonlight, mm-hmm. which was fantastic in every way. But you know, it's 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 a trickle now for me. And that's I think because because the economics are exactly what you say, let's that's, that's not the best way to make money is uh, you know, spreading it around among different authors.
0: Yeah, or you got up and left before you could be moved. But what got of prometheus oh of the characters. that that pains me could we
1: really have come all this way and not find out the answer
0: i was so angry sitting i see i y- y- i should have probably gotten up and walked out because uh, like you probably save yourself what i put myself through so i think we talked about this on the alien episode that we did on the pod but i was so all in and excited for prometheus because the trailer and you know you know it's a thing in movies great trailer bad movie bad trailer great movie you can sometimes fall prey to that sometimes. and i thought and and as i said in the alien episode the the space jockey image is one of the like defining cinematic images in my young life like that has haunted me and stayed with me my whole life and so getting to find out what that was all about was such a i was so all in on that and I can I can, t- I can yeah. tell you exactly where it was in the running time when I knew, I knew it was yeah. not. And it was so early; it was like within the first five they minutes. Pick up their on
1: the planet,
0: and go like, <laughs> and it just shows you how wrong you can get with IP that is beloved.
1: And, you know, sometimes it's you just leave it, just it alone. Most of the time, yeah, yeah. And so it's so. so rarely improved upon. No, I did like, you know, the, the force was explained as as, as a microscopic. Right. <laughs> what infection. <laughs> um,
0: they considered Ron Howard to direct Wrath of Khan, which I thought was interesting. He might That's have done a good a job. job. I don't know what they were or weren't yep. looking for. Maybe, I don't think they were looking to control anyone because Nicholas Myers, I, I mentioned to you, he's kind of a hilarious figure who...
1: I don't even, I mean, what are some other Nicholas? I looked
0: up, all I saw was like five Star Trek movies. And then now I think he writes books about Sherlock Holmes. Um, But he had a run here where he was like the guy that did most of these movies.
1: Well, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's exactly true. Well, he directed a bunch of them. Well, no, I mean, well, as far as the original series is concerned, the original movies, I know... Nimoy director, right? Three. Nemo,
0: that's the one with the whale, right? I also have a soft spot for that one. Oh, that's four.
1: Three is Search for Spock. Search for Spock is three, right? It changed Savick to who do they change Savick to? Kim Cattrall. <laughs> <laughs> Kirsty was making too many
0: demands, and, I guess.
1: Yes. Well, he's on, on Cheers she's probably, so often, yeah. I guess. And uh, and then five was directed by Shatner. by uh, oh, Kurt no, Shatner. Yeah. Shatner. Maybe he directed four. Mm. Oh, I thought he directed, um, who directed Search for Spock? It, yeah. Maniac Cop. He did four and he, did, and he, and he, wrote, no, he, he wrote for them. Oh. oh,
0: okay. Maybe I was looking at the writing credits.
1: I guess, me looking at
0: IMDb, I guess. We could no, that's really what said. we do on the podcast. As I often say, often it's a podcast about the sound of typing. Yes. <laughs> favorite scene in the movie. My favorite scene in the movie or yours?
1: Yes. Well, you go, I'm asking so that I can answer, but you go first.
0: Um, Okay, I wrote down what I liked here. Let me get to my what I liked pages. Okay. I think, well, I think the, for me, the greatest scene in the movie is the death of Spock.
2: I never took the Kobayashi Maru test. Until now. What do you think of my solution? Spock. I have been and always shall be your friend.
0: That, to me, is... Maybe the one time in the movie where the DNA of the original series was most represented on screen for me. And I thought, Mm -hmm. despite his rather sort of rude comments about directing that scene and his sort of behavior on set that day, which kind of famously pissed off Leonard Nimoy because... I think Nicholas Meyer showed up dressed as Sherlock Holmes, which must be one of his great passions in life to direct the, that scene that day.
2: So when we're filming it, I turn around and I'm looking at my cinematographer, Gain Rescher, and he's got tears streaming down his face. And then I'm looking around at the rest of the crew and everybody is crying except Mrs. Meyer's oldest. And i um, thinking, what am I missing here? <laughs> well, I was missing everything. I was missing everything. And it isn't until, you know, many, many years later that I was able to sit there and sort of understand why this was meaningful. And, and then it became meaningful to me.
0: Yeah. And Nimoy was like, what are you doing? And he wasn't, he wasn't plugged into this universe, so it didn't mean that to him, which, you know, maybe that detachment, I think, can be good sometimes with franchises. You need that to kind of breathe, breathe some fresh life. But to his credit, this scene was allowed to really be what it needed to be, which was really moving between these two men and these two characters. But then, the, the, I, I, I'm a nihilist. I want it just to end there. Spock's dead. I don't want to see the coffin in the in the verdant life blossoming planet that's that everyone now knows. He's not dead. I don't like that. You know, I do. I mean, you know, I don't. Want- well, you want Spock to come back the same way I do, but but just yeah, I want Spock to come back. We don't care. But just let's do that in the movie. Don't tell me at the end of the movie. Like let let that be. I think that was tacked on by the studio. Probably it gives hope.
1: You know, like hope's not a bad
0: thing. Okay, so what's your favorite scene in the movie? I mean, that's my favorite real scene. That's not my favorite like scene that I'm just looking at and going like howling with laughter at what the hell's going on here. That's my favorite real scene.
1: My favorite real scene is that little conversation they have in in Spock's uh, like-
0: uh, Yeah, like Jim, you should not have accepted the job as an admiral.
2: We have a problem. Something may be wrong in regular one we've been ordered to investigate. If memory serves, regular one is a scientific research laboratory. I told Starfleet Command, all we had was a boatload of children. But we're the only ship in the quadrant. Spock, these cadets are yours. How good are they? How will they respond under real pressure? As with all living things, each according to his gifts. Of course, the ship is yours. No, that won't be necessary. Just get me to regular one. As a teacher, on a training mission, I am content to command the Enterprise. If we are to go on actual duty, it is clear that the senior officer on board must assume command. It may be nothing. Garbled communications. You take the ship. Jim, you proceed from a false assumption. I am a Vulcan. I have no ego to bruise. You're about to remind me that logic alone dictates your actions? I would not remind you of that which you know so well. If I may be so bold, it was a mistake for you to accept promotion. Commanding a starship is your first best destiny. Anything else is a waste of material. I would not presume to debate you. That is wise. In any case, were I to invoke logic, Logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, or the one. You are my superior officer. You are also my friend. I have been and always shall be yours.
1: It's just rich with great quotes. You know, I mean, how how will your cadets do? Like, living things each according to their what? gifts you know and so much like great <laughs> I, I quote all that you know like you proceed from a false assumption captain I'm a Vulcan I have no ego okay, to bruise, yeah. you know and it, and just watching Kirk like yeah oh it's mm-hmm. yours you know like it's so human it, it really is just like a great summation of that, that relationship you know Kirk won something but he's he's being diplomatic about it Spock's like please spare me the human niceties you know like it's clear what has to happen here. It's such, like, that's a scene that always gets me excited, yeah. just to, to watch the, the acting and the interaction. And, like, literally three decades of, of character development distilled into this one just beautiful scene between friends. I mean, it's male friendship. I think it's such mm. a, it's so rare that I see what male friendship actually looks like. And it is. It's two people fumbling mm-hmm. and jousting and, 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 and I think Spock and Kirk, you know, the only movie that I, the only friendship that even comes close to me is, is Matt. I love oh, the movie MASH. Yeah, and and, and and Trapper John and Hawkeye, yeah. like, that friendship and the way, you know, like, the way when when one of them goes home, mm-hmm. you know. So, not to compare MASH and Star Trek, but I, I've always, thought, I've always found those two friendships to be the best examples of, of the male, adult male friendships I've Yeah,
0: made. you're right. I think that's a really astute observation and I think that, I didn't even realize that in my mind, like even the way the original series is presented to you, you know, it's supposed to be the story of these two guys' friendship first. Like yeah. that's sort of the way it's presented and packaged. I think even including in the way that they're built, it's starring William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and co-starring everyone else. So, yes, but. You're, that's just because in the popular imagination or in my experience of it as a kid, it's just like, what is this world? What are the rules of this world? And how do, how do, like, as a kid, I was obsessed with having the communicator and making fake communicators and making the sound. And I actually remember being disappointed yeah. when it was time in the seventies or eighties, when they could make a plastic one that made that sound. And I remember being yeah. disappointed because the metalness of the, the top part of the communicator was always the cool thing and the cheap, I'm sure now you could probably buy like a, a really nice expensive metal communicator that makes it.
1: I know what I'm getting (laughs) you for
0: Christmas. (laughs) Oh my God. I would totally use that all the time, but you're right. That scene between them goes back to the, to the original DNA. And it's also great and lucky that much has been written about the ego that has, you know, that either Shatner's ego or even Nimoy's ego, it, it comes up like you're, You have the weight of these characters that mean the most to you, really, but also belong to everyone. And Shatner's had kind of a fascinating arc of denial and acceptance of that. I love the documentaries that have been made that kind of explore that. I love captains. That's a great doc. I'm sure you've seen that, interviewing all the different captains. But what's great about the scene you're talking about is despite all the bullshit, you know, when it comes down to it, they can do that. And it's not forced like that connective tissue between those two men, that's that's the center.
1: Yeah, you didn't now for a, a millisecond do you not believe these are two friends that we'd all be lucky to have a friend right. that good in our life. And then it, it, it and then it informs Spock's death and you know, and what will be the closing big number of our track.
0: Oh, so so the musical your musical does it end with the death of Spock or does it end with the hope of rebirth?
1: Well, it ends with the funeral oration of Spock, which will be a a very... Are um, you going to have
0: Scotty's bagpipes, which I laughed out loud uh, in the otherwise somber moment? Of all the souls I have encountered
2: in my travels, his was the most... human. Odds! Up!
1: When you do the movie, he's like, he's like, I get to carry a dead body and play the bagpipes, or I'm not doing the
0: oh, the bagpipes. Just Paul, come on, that was
1: amazing. I mean, I and to the day, jumping ahead to number four, I can't tell you how many like, anytime I'm around somebody young, like I'm in law school, so I get to hang out with 24 year olds, I'm always like, computer, you know, like, compute. Oh, I'm sorry, computer, you know, I'm holding my mouse and talking <laughs> into it, which Scotty would not, and then Scotty was like, unless. James Doohan. Unless I get to talk to a computer as an old person from the future, I'm not I doing love Star Trek. It. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, Sulu and and and, uh, and um, Uhuru are really are really the ones that are left out in the cold. They episode. are. Yeah, which is too
0: bad because two great characters that you know I miss them when I'm watching the original series early episodes and they're not in them yet.
1: Yeah. Did they uh, not? Were they not in a- season one at all? Chekhov is Chekhov kind of uh, comes in sometime after Space Seed. You know, that's a that's a thing annoying people on the internet say that Chekhov wasn't even in Space Seed. So when he says you oh, I know, okay. No, know. he wasn't in the original <laughs> yeah. answer let's not let's not
0: service those fans.
1: And then, you know, the Anthony the stock answers. He was on the ship, he just, he just wasn't, wasn't on the, on the bridge. bridge. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're right. They did get kind of short shrift. I can't remember. Do they take center stage a little bit more in the next movie or the movie after that? A little bit more.
1: Uh, Uhuru does a weird, um, like, uh, like, like feather dance oh, yes. in six, number five, the Undiscovered Country, which is no, that's a, terrible a pretty good movie. one, too. I like that one. I think yeah. some
0: people think that's the best of the original movies I read.
1: Well, that's the, maybe I don't know. Some people, I mean, think, people say everything. Some people, some people think all yeah. sorts of things. No, I, I would think the general feeling is that the, the movies are this one's first. Uh, three or four's mm-hmm. next. And five is generally panned, you know? I mean, uh, it was a big blow to Shatner's Ego because that's the one he mm. directed. And apparently, um, Industrial Light and Magic were not available right. to do number five, so the special effects are really mm. okay yeah, with, like, Joe's special right. effects. <laughs> the special effects in this movie are fantastic. Yeah, they're time. pretty good for the money and the time. Absolutely. Here's an IMDb thing. They, this was one of the first movies to, to employ 3D computer, um, computer animation. So the whole like Genesis, um, mm-hmm. video, I was blown away and I continue to be blown away by this, you know, not necessarily, I mean, obviously graphics have increased exponentially since then, but the narrative arc of that, the, the missile hitting mm-hmm. the planet, it's been, um, that was done by an early version of the Pixar. Oh wow, yeah. And you know what? That for '82, that's
0: that has to have like a grandeur when you first encounter it on screen, and and it does. I mean, you can tell it. it does. It's so funny when the 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 tricks of the day always involve massive scenery and tiny people because they kind of could. You know, they probably had them walk out onto a small green screen pulpit on a lighting rig or something, and then they generated all of that stuff yeah.
1: around them. I mean, that's what, yeah, that's what blows you away in 2001 is oh like the God. giant spaceship, you know, with the two people. So they do that with the little guy on the platform as to, uh, you know, like to give it scale. But, um you know, just nerding out, they discovered that like they had never been able to do mountains before. So they've discovered like a fractal way to to make random mm-hmm. mountains. And that's, and, and when I saw it as a kid, I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen that, that, that planet animation and and all the bridge technology it was done. It was projected in new ways, so there was a new level of sophistication, and like I, know, I think the design of the movies is second. And like little things, like just the little dots around the the for the shields, sure. it really makes you feel mm-hmm. like you know. And then, of course, I guess I guess that first battle with him, Conning mm-hmm. Con, <laughs> we're sending it right now. <laughs> All right. Well, I was going to say, their their I remember category. as a kid having
0: a book of kind of like Star Trek design stuff that was so cool for the reasons that you're talking about. It was like the minutia of the design of everything from the control panels to the ship and the lettering. And when I'm looking at the original series again now, I can't think of another show. Uh, I, can, I certainly can't think of another TV show that has an oral landscape as definable as they figured out. Whoever, whoever came up with that whole raft of effects from the doors opening to the communicators, Like, if you heard those, you know exactly what it is. And I can't think of another TV show that did that. I think you could think of movies that did that, like Star Wars, probably. But for a TV show yeah. to do that in that era, it's kind of amazing.
1: It is. It's. It just shows you, the, you know, if you take yourself way too seriously, a lot of times, really good things Yeah, will do it. you think that's I like a Roddenberry know. thing, like a fixation on that? I do. I think Roddenberry really... You know, from what I've read, I think I read his book too. It's, it's he just wanted to create the best approximation of life in the 21st right. century, which was never identified. The start they always use star so it was when it said in the 23rd right. century at the beginning. That was the first time they actually used our our, our system, nomenclature, you know, our Jesus Christ based system right. for, <laughs> for time. <laughs> what I missed from Kirk and Khan,
0: I like my Kirk getting into the types of scrapes that have no exit. And then figuring out a way to get out of them.
1: Well, he has one. I used to. I mean, I was never a fan of the um, of the uh, the next generation, mm-hmm. but it has aged well in yeah. my memory because compared to things that have come yeah. since. Uh, if you ever want to have fun, do you know the next generation? Enough oh yeah, to appreciate I, was, I, I,
0: I got heavily into that.
1: There's a great YouTube video of Warf being told no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: love, a compilation. I could attach a tractor beam and adjust its heading. I think not, Mr. Worf. I recommend we go immediately to battle stations. I appreciate your advice and concern. This is not the time for rash actions. Captain, this may be our only chance. No.
1: Yeah, like so Like the whole show was just, Worf's like, we should No. Be no.
2: Yeah. I love
1: that. Noted. It's hard say noted. You know who the bad guy is played by in uh, the next movie? Search for Spock? Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd playing a, a Klingon general. And I think Kim Cattrall is soft. Wow, that's crazy. That's Search for Spock, right? You know what? No, I'm wrong about Kim Cattrall. Oh, yeah, Kirstie Alley and then Robin Curtis. Kim Cattrall plays a uh, Vulcan of some sort in Star Trek VI. Hmm. Yeah, that's VI. That's, that's, that's sort of a throwaway one. I guess it was meant to be the last one. That's where they finally come to peace with the Klingons. Well, I I did notice when I saw Six that um, Mr. Robot himself, uh, whatever his name, what's his name, Mr. Robot? Um, Rami Malek? No, uh, Christian oh, Slater. Oh, Christian
0: Slater is in, uh, yeah, he's in Six. He
1: has a cameo. He just, like, gets blown off the same way, like, very similar to the way the guy from Rage Against the Machine dies in Iron Man. Four is The Whales, which is fantastic. I love The Whales.
0: I think I love that just from... Just the era of going to the movies when that movie came out, and that's a Nimoy directed yep. one. I think that one has real heart. I like that one.
1: It certainly does. Yeah.
0: Anything else on that you love about Wrath of Khan that we haven't covered?
1: Now looking at the ear things, they're quite simple. Yeah, but
0: for '82, it's not a bad mold of an ear and not a bad effect.
1: Yeah, my boy. When you when I was a kid, horrified most. That that was the horrifying thing of my childhood. That something could go inside right. my ear. Um, the funeral oration. Um, I love the look of the final spaceship battle in the in the, in the nebula. I think that's really just a beautiful. I um, like the sentence.
0: way the ships cross over each other in quiet. That's kind of an so, ominous to that. That works really well.
1: Yeah, it's really it's that's sort that's of, sort of like old school, like uh, sort of battle mm-hmm. filmmaking. You know, I want to say the battleship Potemkin, but I never saw the battleship <laughs> Potemkin. So look got that in if I'm if it's if it's a point. Okay. Uh, Amen, take it out if I'm okay. totally wrong. Because is, ba- is that the really racist one, the Battleship of Time, coming, uh, Well, that's the
0: one with the famous steps sequence.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> For a guy who loves movies, I mean, come on, you gotta get your filmic, pretentious filmic references down, at least so you can deploy them, you know? We all have blind spots. My problem
1: is I, I still fish of around. All right, way.
0: so tell me a little bit about when you were a kid. What were the other shows that were important to you when you were watching TV? Were you a latchkey kid? Did you come home and have the house to yourself? Hello. Of
1: course, I'm going. I grew up on Hogan's Heroes. That was my. I never, you know. I mean, I know Gilligan's Island, but I know, like I was always like, this isn't a great show. But Hogan's good Heroes. Show. It's a really good show. I mean, for all of its its obvious uh, problematic mm-hmm. features, there was really something oh, yeah, was about great about it. Really show. good writing. Really good writing. And um, so that was my show, Knight Rider. Oh, that was yeah. a big moment in my life.
2: flight into the dangerous world of a man who does not exist. Michael Knight, a young loner on a crusade to champion the cause of the innocent, the helpless, the powerless, in the world of criminals who operate above the law.
0: talking car kit
1: yeah you know uh, I grew up uh my, my grandmom had me every Saturday night uh so she would make me dinner and we would watch love boat yeah. fantasy
0: island that was a great night of tv that was maybe that's like maybe the defining two-hour block of my childhood right
1: yes is. uh, fantasy island oh, oh, I remember specifically it awakened certain sentiments mm-hmm. in me it was the first show I was like oh <laughs> sex, sex. really yeah. not star trek not Star Trek. I was Star Trek. Wow. I don't know Star Trek. I even at seven, I thought it was a little creepy. Hmm. There was not. There was a like big hair and mini skirts and and like yeah. You know, it's <laughs> that's that's the place I choose to ignore Star Trek's weirdness. You know, weirdness is it's pretty sexist. You know?
0: Well, I think. Well, of course, but I mean, so is everything made ever really? Yes. But I think that the hairstylist on the original series deserves a lot more credit than he or she was ever given. Because those the variety of female hairstyling yes. is is stupendous when you watch it back
1: now. But like, you know, I mean, go back to Space Seed. Um, uh, did that ever work for picking up women? I am going to leave now. But now you're asking me to Oh my God.
0: Yeah, he basically does a very early version of, remember when like the pickup artist thing was popular in the 90s? He negs her, he negs her right off the bat. Yeah.
2: Now you must ask to stay. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to like living in our time. Then I'll have to remold it to my liking. Please don't. Go. Or stay, but do it because it is what you wish to do. I'd like to stay. Stay because you want to. I'm going
1: to try that with my wife later. Not because you feel you must. Yeah. Oh my God,
0: Montalban. What a towering, titanic figure. He really deserves I, an epic documentary.
1: I might have to make it. Please, by all means, I would watch, I would stay for that whole documentary.
0: <laughs> now, you know, we sometimes do the wow. Colombo Cinematic yeah. Universe because everything is connected to Colombo. Colombo Cinematic Universe. Ah, oh, one more thing. And of course, Montalban is one of the great Colombo yep. episodes where Colombo travels to Mexico and ends up embroiled in a matador, played by who else, who has killed a member of his entourage in order to do something that I can't remember what the MacGuffin-like device is for the reason he kills this poor old guy. But I mean, you had to have a certain, I don't want to call it overacting, because I just think that's acting. I mean, that's TV acting. You know, and I think the thing that I really actually seriously appreciate about Montalban is, yes, the the lazy take is just like, he was a ham, cheese ball, overacting, scenery-chewing curiosity. But I actually think his command of the medium is was so vastly superior to almost every single other actor that I don't know anything about his like process on set and how he knew how to do his thing. And if yeah. anyone ever tried to tell him not to do his thing, I can't imagine that they ever succeeded.
1: I mean, the episode that really awakened the beast was, uh, I still remember it in Fantasy Island, uh, a ventriloquist, a female <laughs> ventriloquist. And and uh, and uh, she her fantasy was for her ventriloquist dummy. Oh, to come yeah. To life. And to make love to her. No. And then the ventriloquist comes to life, and then she wants to go out and live. So she goes to the tiki bar on Fantasy Island and gets laid. But because mm-hmm. of the psychic connection between the two it cuts back to the ventriloquist laying on a, her bed, experiencing the sexual pleasure at the same time as the ventriloquist dummy. And I was like, like nine. Was the doll a female Both or a male? Females. And nine okay. to 11 being like, oh. You're like, oh wait, wait a, a, a minute. I don't. <laughs> wait, these plastic
0: space toys, I'm not interested yeah. in those anymore. <laughs> That is amazing. That is amazing. I can amazing. remember I can
1: remember my sexual awakening. It was that episode.
0: Wow. Who was the, who was the co-star? Do you remember who played the ventriloquist? Let's look it let's look it up.
1: Let's see who can spell ventriloquist right
0: there. By the way, the ventriloquist episode in a TV show was such a like seventies, eighties mainstay. Like we don't really get that anymore.
1: Um Fantasy Island, Marianne and Sophisticate. Well, Dick Bunkis was on there somewhere. Annette Funicello was your sexual awakening,
0: Paul Green, you freak. Is it possible it was Annette Funicello? <laughs>
1: wow, I just learned so much about oh. myself.
2: <laughs> Mommy? ever think about is men? Men and money? What about love, romance? Oh, Marianne, you're so common. Why must you be a wet blanket? Don't your juices flow? Honey, what you need is some young blood. I have young blood. Why keep it in such an old container? (laughs) And speaking of old... Ah, that's enough, Valerie. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being such a nice audience and was wonderful being with you. Speak for yourself.
0: Oh, my God, that is hilarious, Paul. Uh. Oh, my God, that is too fucking funny are you kidding me <laughs> you see you can learn a lot about yourself on the full casting crew podcast i did i did
1: i think i might have to pay you for a therapy <laughs> session <now. laughs> Well,
0: I, I was going to get into your whole life story, and do that stuff, but I sort of feel like you're probably tired of talking all of that, so I feel bad asking you to kind of walk me through it all. But we, but I would be thrilled to spend ten minutes just kind of zipping through it because my listeners would love it.
1: Okay, um, my my claim to fame is uh, I started the company School of Rock, grew it to a semi national franchise, and sold it. Along the way, uh, I got to make a movie, a documentary called Rock School, which, while a commercial flop, certainly opened some doors and allowed me to cool meetings mm-hmm. and. And, uh, and we did Sundance that year. And, uh, I remember being at Sundance and the, the thing I was most excited about is I, I, for the once in my life, I had, I had to, enough pull to get tickets to see a Werner Herzog movie where he spoke, uh, premiere of Grizzly nice. Man. So that oh amazing, amazing movie. movie. So Timothy Treadwell. And, uh, then, uh, the, 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 words I use is I am the apparent inspiration for the Jack Black character, you know, why do you say apparent inspiration? Uh, legal, uh, <laughs> legally. Oh, okay. I mean, their are official positions. They never heard of me. Really? But considering my URL at the time was school They must've had some very lazy interns on, on staff at Paramount mm. Pictures at the time. The reason we think they heard of me is, uh, VH1, a couple of guys you actually knew when you worked there, did a pitch pilot mm-hmm. of me, early, uh, reality TV. Um, Mm-hmm. When I watched the assembled pilot, it was both too exploitive of me and my students, and they weren't paying enough. So if those factors mm-hmm. had changed... You know, in other words, yes. TV. Well, they, you know, there's there's other eras, well, you know, there's an era of feel-good reality TV that may have been appropriate. There's an era where they were paying well for reality TV.
0: Sure. This yeah. was
1: neither of those eras. So I declined. Uh, a couple months later, I heard that Paramount was in production of a movie called mm-hmm. School of Rock. and. My assertion is that Jack Black says things in that movie I said in the pitch pilot. So, uh, and but did Paramount own the? Did Paramount own the School of Rock by that point?
0: Like when you said you sold it, did they buy the company that owned the school?
1: No, they didn't. I sold, I sold it to Sylvan Learning Center, basically.
0: Oh, okay, so they didn't have to. So obviously, they wanted to get around having to buy your life rights yes. in some way,
1: <laughs> but they did that in like the movie was by Scott Rudin, who has made some of my favorite things in this world. So And I, I hear he's tough to work for, but you know, he makes during all this, I got a New York times article front page, of the entertainment section that made my career. So it was clear to me that the better thing to do was just say, they say I'm the inspiration for it. I met with a right. top IP lawyer. He said, they'll, they'll settle five years from now, but you're like, you're hard and yeah, they'll bleed you out. They'll find people you pissed off, whatever. But then during all this, when I'm getting a lot of press, my phone rings in my office, pre-cell phones. Hello. This is Paul Green. Yeah. And the guy, the person on the phone says, I literally, I can't tell you who I am or who I represent, but you're close. You're closer than you think. Look up Scott Rudin, Philadelphia. And he hang, and hangs up. Couldn't make that up. I got a, I got a, I got a deep throw call, you know? Wow. Sure enough, Scott Rudin's people sat in a Philadelphia courtroom while a, a lawyer with AIDS was suing his former firm. And after the lawyer passed away, they changed the story just enough, didn't pay the the estate, and were successfully sued for, you know, I believe the term, now that I have three years of law school under my belt, is unjust enrichment. So there was wow. precedent. There was there was mm-hmm. a history of Scott Rudin not paying real people for their life stories. And I, and I mm. was totally fine with it until the musical came out. Because, mm. you know, you're talking about profits. A top movie can make three, four hundred million. Mama Mia has grossed eight billion dollars to date. So, musicals are because the high Mm. ticket price and the fact that you can send different touring groups out uh, are a whole like order of magnitude higher as far as profitability. And of course, everyone I knew sent me a selfie in front of the marquee.
0: Of course, I'm sure that helped a lot. Like, but you know to touch on it sort of philosophically the way you're talking about it is interesting because a huge conglomerate you can fight you can try you can you can ride it all out they have so much money that they can draw things out for so long that they know you can't afford to keep fighting them in a way you made even though you might look back and there's going to be moments and that's a piece of ip that will continue to pop up probably for the next 100 years as well like you'll never really escape it being something because once something is something They want to make more somethings out of it. But in a way, your life is your own. Your experience is your own. The things that you've done are your own. The things you've built are your own. And ultimately, as you said, it really only helps you in the big picture, even though there's, you could say there's an injustice at the center of it that didn't need to be. That's the funny thing. is like to approach someone like yourself and be like, hey, we'd love to turn your life into a movie. Would you like to make, you know, $125,000 for signing this piece of paper, plus 2% of anything that the film makes after we, of course, recoup all of our money, you'd be like, absolutely, let's do it, right? And there never would be, nobody would ever feel that. And the, the times in which people try to save so little money in order to make so much more money never makes any sense to me. It's like when studios sue creators of wildly successful Critically acclaimed television series, and they battle each other over who sold what into syndication for what. It's just so it stupid.
1: Is. And and yeah, I've as I said, if I remember to meditate in the morning, my life is great. No regrets. Mm-hmm. And it, you and me both, brother. I wish I could remember. Right now, every it became morning. a 90 minute commercial for my actual schools. It made it really easy to right. explain what we did, and and uh, to this day, you know, people, certain people of a certain age are excited to meet the real uh, school. Of life, sure. So.
0: And, and what, what fueled your desire to go to law school uh, late in life? I admire this so much.
1: I, I, was, I went to Penn when I was 25 as a transfer student. I was, taking, I was doing the LC, L, LSAT prep, and I was going to go to law school when my business school of rock took off. My wife got pregnant, so I needed to, you know, and, and my wife was like, uh, I'm going to raise the kids and you work. So, and I put a pin in that law school thing. And then I, you know, after school of rock, I've done all kinds of cool things. But uh, a business that I had been working on sort of was wrapping up. And I just needed a new thing to sort of get excited about. And I remember that I had promised law school. So I went and took the LSATs and sent my application and Temple gave me a really good package to come and, and go. And uh, you know, my, my classmates tease me because you know, law schools, whatever you think of it, it's a vocational school. You know, right. so I might as well be going to welding yeah. college from a practical standpoint. <laughs> And I don't really like the way. I mean, being a lawyer seems super boring. So, yeah, uh, that that's so. So my classmates are like, "Paul, um, this is your hobby. This is our life." You know, like, but it's maybe one of the best decisions I've ever made. I, it's just my it's, my neurons have opened. I've become a better teacher because of of working with some amazing people, and uh, I'll have a set of skills when I graduate, and uh, and a nice couple letters after my name. So it's. So
0: you're a serial entrepreneur. Is the law school thing something that you're going to use as you conceive of and pursue other interesting kind of entertainment oriented businesses? Or is it something that you might like make a total right turn and
1: end up representing people who need representation? I wouldn't trust myself to do that. I mean, it's one of those things. You've been in a situation where you look to your left and your right and in both directions, people are better at that particular thing than you are. Right. And that's fine. So like, if nothing else, I've got really good relationships with 48 future really good lawyers now. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Where You know, I like business. You know, I, I, I always, like I was a musician who, who kind of did business along the way. All my favorite classes have been business classes. So I'm going to come out of this. I'm going to do business development. And I'm going to help people button up their IP and their ideas. So I'm going to start, a, I've already started a firm, Paul Green Management, uh, helping those who make it keep it. With a law degree, I won't be your, your, your attorney on record. I have people to do that, but I'm going to help you get your cap table and your IP and your trademarks all buttoned up and help you do your business plan and really understand things like, you know, when these deals come across, they're written, you know, I've sold, I've, I've, I've been involved in a fundraising for three companies now. And mm-hmm. the first deal they put, it's hard. It's hard when you've been struggling to make payroll for five years, mm-hmm. not to sign on the bottom button
0: hundred percent. it's it takes a lot of discipline and fortitude. and and I, I think you're right, like you and I' have talked about this in the past. I've had a similar experience where I was never someone who anticipated owning or running a business or having employees or dealing with insurance or taxes or risk management or any of the things I've ended up dealing with in the course of my career. But the biggest surprise of all of that, let alone it just happening, which is a huge surprise is that I that I've liked it and that it's been a place of self discovery in a way that when you're growing up a kid in the 70s and 80s you just think like business sucks yeah. you know rock is cool but of course it's way more complicated than that and actually you can see almost a shifting of like where the places that you can learn the most about yourself exactly what you're talking about like when you're in a negotiation or a structure and you have to have that fortitude to kind of get things to the brink of falling apart sometimes and it forces you to figure out what do you stand for? What, what are your egotistical stop signs that you kind of need to let yourself have a process to drive through because it's the best thing for the bigger picture, not just your ego that wants to win.
1: Exactly. Well, a good friend of mine once said, uh, if you treat your business like it belongs to your children, you'll we'll mm-hmm. make the right decision every time.
0: Right. It's true. That is very true. Whoever told you that was a very wise person.
1: So real quick, um, I wanted to do Tampopo, which is a weird, like, indie Japanese movie from the 80s. I'm going to say, yeah. everyone out there listening to this, you obviously love movies. Check out that movie. I've seen it three times in the last year. One of my five favorite movies of all time. What is it that you love about it? It's like just a well-written, well-acted, well-scripted movie that captures something, food. It's a movie about food and our, and our, and our love and the way food impacts our life in every direction. And something we don't really think about. We don't think about how, like we eat three times a day, but we don't really think, stop to think about how, how powerful that is in our life. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it's this movie that took something that was right in front of us and explained it to us. And it's just poetry from beginning to end, even though, you know, it's subtitles. And it just it just makes me, it's like, I'm glad I live, if aliens visited Earth tomorrow and they were like, prove that you deserve to continue, I would just show them Tampapo and they'd be like, okay. <laughs>
0: I love that you love things like that and embrace them and champion them. Uh, I love seeing you do that on social media and spreading the joy of things that you find joy in yourself. I find joy in talking you. to you. Thank you for doing this movie with me. Wrath of Khan is going to be phenomenally successful as a podcast <laughs> episode because everyone loves Star Trek. Everyone loves Ricardo Montalban, And I personally love Paul Green. So what's not to love?
1: Well, let me just end with this. Uh, Of all the souls I've known in my travels through the universe, his was the most. Human. (laughs) I'm going to cut in some bagpipe music over that. Please do. Human. Okay, buddy. Bye.
2: Take care, man. Love you. Wait till you see what they did to my car. With the Cordova, we went back to the drawing boards. We wanted to get the gas mileage up, but not at the expense of the style. Introducing the totally redesigned Chrysler Cordova. All the luxury you expect is here. But so is gas mileage. You can have high style and good mileage. The new Cordova proves it. I like what they've done to my car.